Hi, how are you doing? I'm well, how are you? Very good indeed, very good. Now, uh, you're, you're coming in from somewhere rather cool, and, and I must admit, I had, to, I had to look it up, which is slightly geographically embarrassing, um, and the photos are amazing. So, so where are you? I, well, I'm in Canada, but I'm in Nova Scotia, so I consider it one of the nicer places in Canada. But that's my, that's just me. It's yeah. just a small province, it's, um, and I'm in a rural area in Nova Scotia, which is really nice, too. And uh, I think we've got the best weather. We've barely gotten any snow yet this year, and uh, we've been really lucky, yeah. So you will get snow? Well, usually, this has been... This has been an odd year. We usually have snow by Christmas, and we had a dusting out there today, and we're into, what is it, the 8th, 9th, the 11th, 11th of January, and so this is unusual. You know, the predictions is that, that the weather's shifting. BC's getting a ton of snow, which aren't used to, are not used to it, and we have nothing. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, maybe not amazing good. I mean, we were, we're not here to talk about climate particularly, but... Um... Yeah. It, it does seem to be the way there are these uh, they are these changes yeah yeah i think so yeah okay. now are you are you from there or have you ended up there what's the, what's the story i am from nova scotia uh it was born in cape breton and moved a lot in my youth between nova scotia and newfoundland actually a, a lot and then um my husband is retired military so we did spend some time out in alberta and then came back here to base so you you've traveled a lot then in your in your time in my youth yeah i've traveled a lot a lot back and forth in my youth between the same provinces uh probably about every three or four years we traveled we moved and then as an adult a, a little bit yeah but uh it's always nice to be back in the province really where your family is at is, is key yeah. To yeah yeah so so that really feels like home where you are now that's that's your place absolutely this is this is the place yeah which is a nice yeah. Yeah. this is it yeah and and we have two daughters and they're not too far away from us so uh that's that's even better yeah but it's i mean it's a huge i mean canada's uh, is is vast i think our, our little island here we sort of go oh that's a long drive two hours um and your reaction sort of says it all there this, this, yeah, the, these vast distances, and and I'm I'm sort of saying this because obviously we're going to get into to to pain stuff, but I, I'm kind of curious about uh, the similarities and differences and and people's views of what you what you experience and where uh, kind of what the geography and the culture sort of says there and, and here. Um, I mean, you you talk about vast differences and and and. and where I mean I have a daughter who lives an hour and a half away to go up there once a week is something I mean even in a province we are when you bring into the pain thing into it in rural communities we have limited access and when I end up first developing pain even less access to pain so driving to the city three and four times a week which is an hour and a half drive one way was what I had to do to receive pain care which is can be struggles for other people who you know either don't have the finances to get there you don't have the vehicles you don't have the support um so especially people in rural communities you you do what you got to do not saying that yeah. it's a good way to have things we should have access everywhere we're at but yeah 
Yeah, that, that's, I mean, that's a real challenge, isn't it? Um, I mean, I suppose here in, in England, some people would say, oh, it, it takes me a long time to get from, from A to B to go and get my, my treatment or, or whatever. Um, but I guess some of the some of the rural communities you're talking about could could literally be hours and hours away from a service that they really need. Yeah, unfortunately, yes, it it is. And I mean, even taking the other province, you think PEI, they don't have much services there either, and are coming into Nova Scotia, uh, New Brunswick for certain things they have to. They are getting more, but yeah, you know, in rural communities. This is it. I mean, we have the pain support group here, which I started years ago, and that's why, because there was uh, no care and eventually got a pain clinic here, just a small pain clinic, which closed because of resources. So we're left again hanging, but it's a huge barrier. People having to drive an hour and a half one way, and the mist, you're doing this when the mist, when your pain is at its worst. So it makes yeah. it even harder to make these uh, commutes. And for me, it was on the way coming home after treatments or going through this emotional roller coaster was to pull over alongside the road and have a rest. I was not yeah. saying it's yeah. safe, but you, you, it's just, it's hard. We should have access everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So look, we're getting some really interesting stuff, but maybe for, for context, it's going to be good to kind of go back um, and, and to hear your story, because I know that, that, you know, you have a story, a lived experience of, of pain. So how, how did yours begin and when, when was that? So in 2009, I, um, I had a workplace injury and I, I do work in healthcare and it was poor ergonomics with new equipment being set up. I'm in diagnostic imaging and uh, end off with a rotator cuff tear, which after months of trying physio end off with a surgery. So already been out of work for six months trying all this stuff. So I ended up going for surgery for an acromoplasty and left me with uh, pain around medial border of my scalpula, almost like there was a knife in there to the point I, I couldn't even stand the clothes on my back. And then they rubbed, I couldn't wow, stand wow. There was a knife that was burning. And being a workplace injury offers another challenge onto things because you're really under the microscope. So as you go to a physio who is directed by the insurance company to go to, and uh, they say six weeks you've had physio on the shoulder joint and the rotator, go back to work. And the constant neglect of looking at this pain around the scapula. I'm like, oh, yeah, they look at, yeah, maybe you're getting a little wing in there and then just move on, dismiss it. And was constant. And this went on for about four or five physiotherapists. And it was just this juggle going to one to another, another, seeing a psychologist, oh, you're fine, an OT, or you're fine, go back to work. You go back to work. Uh, I lasted, I'm lucky I lasted two, three hour shifts. And you're out wow. again. So with that, I mean, you got to think, as I, as I look back, at, at the point, I was very much bullied by um, certain places within people within my workplace. And and you got to think of their, their situation, too, is they're told by this physiotherapist and by this insurance company and the OT and psychologist, she's fine, she can go back to work, but you don't last and you're gone out. And the last person in the world they're going to believe is me. And, you know, so after years of this, it becomes a huge emotional struggle. Um, people don't believe you. People can't believe the pain could possibly be that real. You're dismissed from everybody. 
you know, from your workplace, you're rejected, you're bullied, you're mistreated in healthcare and uh, friends. I was a marathon runner and played soccer. So these being my outings when I wasn't with my two young daughters at the time was to go to that and sit around and have, you know, after the soccer game, it was all really about sitting around having a beer with the girls. I mean, we're all over there for fun or the girls I ran with, you ran two, three times a week, but now you can't do that. So you're not a part of that anymore. So it took about a few years and finally I got into the pain clinic, which I told you was an hour and a half drive. And uh, the pain physician was the first one who actually recognized that I had uh, myofascial pain within the first appointment, within the first appointment. So it wasn't until then that things change and uh, did lead to another shoulder surgery. But uh, yeah, so it, it was a tough journey initially to get in there. And again, it's about a lack of resources. And I don't even know at that point. So it was a lack of resources, but a lack of knowledge what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just going back, you, so you had the, the, the injury at work. Was there, was there a particular moment, a sort of an ah moment, or was it sort of over time, oh, I can feel this thing, and then it got worse and worse? What was? We end up getting new equipment at work, and the equipment wasn't properly set up. So within the first couple of weeks of reaching too much and reaching down with the tables and everything not set up properly, I, I end off just slowly getting, oh my gosh, this is sore, this is sore, and uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was this sort of gradual thing, and then there was just a moment where you're like, ah. Yeah, pretty well. Yeah, yeah, it was gradual, and then you just can't move. But I mean, I would say within the, the first month of the poor equipment being set up, this month probably, that it was, uh, wasn't, uh, you know, it's it's cutting corners, not having things set up correctly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. And and the pain that, that, you, that you had by the shoulder blade there, did, did that come on quite quickly or was that sort of subsequent down the line? That was after I had the surgery. So when right. you come okay. off okay. those meds, when you're having your surgery and you're just starting to come off them and, uh, you know, your first few days, they've got you on some high meds. Um, it was just this knife in my back and I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? You know, did he leave yeah. something back there? What has yeah. happened? <laughs> and that, so that was pretty it's interesting that you say, you know, the, your first question there was, what, what's wrong with me? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, I, isn't it? We, this is what we do. Always. And I think that's what I've done for, for the first few years. What's wrong with me? Why can't I handle this pain? Why can't I get back to work? What, what is wrong with, yeah, yeah. So it's somehow it's it's easier, isn't it, for us to sort of turn that back and, and look, well, I'm, I'm, there's something I'm the fault. I I can't get better. I'm not somehow good enough or strong enough or whatever to to overcome this. Was that was that quite a strong theme then? Oh yeah, it was that I'm not strong enough. Like why? Yeah, I can't overcome this. Or why does this is this feel so bad? Why is this so excruciating? And it was. And I think you know maybe because being so much um, ignored when you talk to people, you're not to the point thinking you're doubting yourself you know is this even real like you know but it but it's impacting your whole life yeah see so you had those thoughts you know you you felt like people aren't listening to me maybe somehow I'm making this up did you have that kind of thing going on I I doubt it myself um I knew I wasn't making up what was there was there but I'm uh, more the fact is 
why can't I deal with it? Why, why is it? They're saying there's nothing wrong. But, you know, pain, you're supposed to just move on. I mean, you sprain an ankle, you get past it, you move on. So I, I knew nothing about chronic pain whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, apparently, the world that was around me the first couple of years knew very little about it. Yeah. Yeah. And this this kind of idea that uh, there's nothing there's nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. it, what, what do you think that was based on? What were they finding, do you think, that, that was leading them to some conclusion that, well, there's, there's nothing wrong here? You know, you go see the surgeon and he's like, well, the surgery went well. And, and, and you know, and the surgery did, went, did go well, but I'm still left with this excruciating pain. Um, you know, why would I have, we've had a rotator cuff surgery and have pain in my back. Um, I guess, you know, where people were just, I wonder if they didn't know what to do with it, that it was easier just to say, to move on. Just say, well, maybe the scapula is winging, but, and then just move on. And mm. being that, it was totally dismissed, you know, just well, the shoulder's fine or the shoulder's moving fine. You're getting some strength back. But they still have this excruciating pain, you know. Yeah, so it sounds like there were, you know, there were sort of uh, there were different sort of goals in a sense, weren't there? There were people were looking at different things, and this is classic, really. That's that's obviously why we're talking about the fact that what the clinicians are seeing are are kind of measurable, objective. Oh, look, you can do, you can reach up further, you know, you can lift that weight, or yeah, you know, whatever it is, yeah. you can do your hair. You can drive your car, da, 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 that's all great. The surgery is great. Look, we can show you the pictures. Look, that's all healing. That's fine. And you're going, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that is happening. But this hurts like hell. What should we do about that? And they go, yeah, okay. But anyway, your arm's moving really well and you're doing your hair. <laughs> it's, it's perfect. You know, you, you have to, because I was a worker's uh, injury. Well, we're going to send you through the little test and it's a 10 minute test. Oh, you can carry this box back and forth. You can, like, okay, you can go back to work. I'm like, Okay, and and you can't argue or say no because then you're looked upon. You're not trying hard enough, or you're 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 you know. And yeah, it, it, yeah. I said, are you lazy? Are you you know? Do you like your job? Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they you get questioned, interrogated on 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 that your attitude and uh, and that sort of thing. This high index of suspicion. Oh, yeah. maybe they're maybe they're trying to pull a fast one. Yeah, that, that sort of thing. Do you, I mean, something that um, has, it, it did gather some some media coverage. I haven't seen much for a while in the media. There's been a number of books coming out on, um, uh, you know, gender and pain and, and how people are being treated. Do, do you think there was any element of you being treated or, or dealt with in a particular way because you're a woman, because you're female? Oh, absolutely. You know, you're a woman, uh, you get anxious, you have anxiety, you know, uh, maybe you're coming up near menopause or yeah, absolutely. I, I, I really have no doubt that, that there was a lot of, of that. You're just stressed. Women, you know, wear their emotions on their sleeves. And uh, yeah. 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 That, I mean, that that still seems to happen. You know, the, from the people that I see when they, they tell me about their, their experiences, the kind of, oh, you're. You're being a bit emotional you're being hysterical about it or it might not be dressed up in such severe terms it might be more well i think i think you're stressed i mean of course of course the person's stressed yeah. they're in pain a lot of the time and can't do the things that matter of course they're stressed well maybe we should do something about that maybe we but that's not 
the thing to hang the hat on as the only thing and that seems to be what's done yeah you know and uh you know if you're stressed your whole life is falling apart your your family's impacted your marriage is impacted your career is being lost you're headed towards a disability and you're in severe pain you know and it's funny because this was well it's not funny but this happened 10 years ago when we were you know 2009 10 and running the support groups I'm hearing the same thing over and over and over from people who are still are now at the beginning of this horrible journey. It's just, it's it doesn't seem to have gotten much better. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll 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 come we'll come to that because it's going to be interesting to see what has happened over this time. But but it, you so you had this several years where it's really really tough, and then you did you find this pain clinic yourself or, or how how did that happen? No. Um, last thing I even thought about was chronic pain or even looking at a pain clinic. The, the, the last, the last thing, and there was no services here locally where I'm at. My surgeon at that point, I mean, I was constantly going in and seeing him, uh, decide, well, we'll send you another surgeon. So I got a referral to another surgeon. He looks at, oh, the shoulder's fine, but you know, I know someone can take care of this pain for you. Uh, we're going to send you the pain clinic. They'll give you an injection and the pain will be gone. So, I mean, it was right. another false hope. But the one thing he did do, and I mean, we're a couple of years into this journey, is uh, sent me to the pain clinic. And um, I was lucky. I got into the pain clinic quickly. Uh, the insurance company started trying to send me to their pain doctor at that point. And then I got really scared because I know how things have worked with them. Uh, so I just called the pain clinic and put me on the wait list. I'll come wherever. And I like that bit. Next thing I knew, I got a call probably within a month's time. Can you come tomorrow? I'm like, I'll be there. I'll be there. And uh, yeah. I was lucky because uh, right off the bat, my pain physician had uh, validated that, yes, this is real. Yes, you are having pain. This is what is happening. And uh, was able to even tell me what chronic pain was because I had no idea. So it was the yeah. start. It was still an emotional roller coaster because now we still had a bit of a journey to go get into the right services uh directed me to a physiotherapist again in the city it was an hour and a half drive my self-managed because all in the city it was constant drives for the next year to the to the city which is a barrier like i said for many yeah and what was driving like for you because often people with pain in that area yeah that's not great it's horrible i would have a pillow under my arm my back couldn't touch the back of the seat so i had have something tucked in my lower back so my back would be away uh our girls were young so my husband was home with them i had i had no support i'd get in there and i would either sleep in the parking lot and sleep and sleep on the way home it was a really emotional couple of couple really emotional um trips that yeah. I just called, I had one friend who kind of understood this, uh, realizing at that point she had gone through chronic pain and uh, a similar journey, uh, which she never shared before then. Um, and I would call her on the way home and literally she'd talk to me on the way home and she'd cry because it's so emotional and you're alone just mm. to keep the road. So it, it was, it was challenging. It was definitely challenging. It was definitely very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this, this, the second so, surgeon, he was the one who really listened first, didn't have a, well, he did have an, he had an option for you, right, go and see the pain guy, mm -hmm. but this will get rid of your pain. So there was that message in there, but nonetheless, he, he, he listened to you, whereas perhaps others had dismissed the, 
the story of the, the pain. And then you end up going to to the pain clinic, which is an hour and a half there and back, huge, hugely challenging for, for lots of different reasons. But you did it anyway. You followed the path that was very dimly lit and, and full of uncertainty ahead. What what was it that, that made you keep doing it? You know, that you had faith in something. I was desperate. I wanted to save my career. I did not want to go on a disability. I was desperate and I knew that's where I was headed. It already, the words had been brought up by the first surgeon, you know, maybe this isn't going to work, maybe, you know, and uh, as much as lovely as was, he had no idea, but anyway, but um, I was desperate. I was really desperate. I couldn't go back into seeing who I had seen in the local area. I mean, I gone, I jumped from one to another. I, I was, I was desperate. I was just really, really, and they were so lovely. And my pain physician sent me to the physiotherapist over there and I'd love her. And I walked in and I looked at her and I said, and I'm, I, I'm not who I am now then. And I'm not, then I'm not who I was supposed to be. I mean, I was horrible. And I look at her, I said, you're number five. I don't know what the hell you're going to do that nobody else can. And I just, I lost it. I just, she was lovely. She she changed everything. She told me what I was doing wrong, and she informed me about the boom and bust theory. And you can't just keep out going running because you're going to feel good for a little bit. You're going you're going to crash. And uh, she just um, she she really looked at things differently. She looked at the pain in the back, as along with the pain physician, and then you know she was also part of the self management classes. So you know, be so between her and the classes and the connection with her and uh, my pain doctor. At least when I got there, uh, I could breathe. I just felt welcome, and I, I could I could breathe. How, how important was it to it's feel welcome feel, there? It was huge because when you go into the clinics here, you know you're workers, and you had to fill out these forms. And once you're a worker's injury, and you've been out that long, it's that stigma that goes with it. Where there, there, there wasn't that. There, it, it was, it was, it was huge. It was heartwarming. You, you felt they were there for you, not for some, for some other purpose. A hundred percent. And, you know, my pain physician, who was my former pain physician, I don't have him anymore. My, the new gentleman I see is absolutely wonderful, too. But, you know, he went on a limb. He wrote letters. You cannot put her back to work right yet. You cannot do this. And he had no, no problems advocating for me, you know. And, and that was huge because someone had to get, I used to say, get the monkeys off my back so I could get strong and do what I needed to do so I could get better and, and he had no problem writing these letters no this is not going to happen and that was huge that that was huge somebody had my back yeah so you went from being really quite isolated mm -hmm. being made to be isolated really I mean you weren't choosing that to to now having a, a team or, or having people alongside you yep. people who wanted to who, who would walk that path with you and and with what they offered they could deal right i can deal with those people we can deal with that you can focus on this yeah and and that was huge and then they could teach me because again i said i knew nothing about chronic pain i mean you're taught to push 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 i had to learn to come back and mm. meditation and mindfulness and self-care and stop beating myself up yeah, no. And, you know, what am I going to do about my career? I can't do a physical job. I mean, diagnostic imaging is pretty physical. And yeah. so 
accept that. And, you know, my pain doctor believed in me when I stopped believing in myself. There's other things you can do. Think about taking a few courses, thinking about doing that. So I did. Like I said, I, I totally, I gave in on myself. And I didn't even like myself. So it was really nice to see that, you know, someone could connect me. And between him and the physiotherapist, they connect me. They, they seem to like me. They seem to have faith in me and yeah. some suggestions and support me. And that was huge. I, I couldn't do this alone. Yeah, they, they really shone a light of all the potential on you and kept doing that until you got the glimmer. Ah. Yeah, yeah, help me get my feet under me again, yeah. And, and help me pivot and change my direction. Yeah. 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 But it, they're, they're big moves though, aren't they? All, all of those things are big, big moves for you because you had your existing way of, of living life, as you said, push, 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 self-critic, all, all that stuff. And these are, well, you listen to lots of people now, but, very common in the story and and when you're experiencing chronic pain it really brings those up to the surface um which i guess you know in some ways do you think that creates the opportunity to to deal with those things which actually somehow do cause problems in life it's a double-edged sword <laughs> it's a double-edged sword you know um the way you're raised and the culture come up with that push 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 and then all of a sudden you can't remember I, I was a super mom <laughs> I could work yeah. full-time I could raise my family I could run I was, you know I, I could do it all and then you know like, hmm, yeah, maybe you yeah. can't do it all maybe you have to ask for help but, uh, but you know you can get your life back and you can do things you can do things yeah well I think our we, we get attached, don't we, to this idea of who we are and what we can do. And we attach and fixate on it very firmly with with there's always the risk that something will happen that will remove those things from us as such. I'm not sure that's the right wording, but and, and quite brutally sometimes if something happens and then you're kind of left. I guess that's the risks of attaching to, to things, which is strong in Buddhist philosophy, of course. But, you know, you don't think about that. You don't think you're going to lose all this. I mean, we ah. think about it now, now that we're had this, but you don't think about that. You're just, you're in the momentum, you know, you, you, you don't. Yeah. You're loving it, aren't you? You're doing all those things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you, you went to see the physio and, and you said, right, you're the fifth. What are you going to do for me? That's, that's classic. Um, and she didn't and, kick me out. <laughs> yeah, she, she didn't show you the door. She said, have no. a seat. Have a seat, which is great. Um, so so prior to you starting working with, with the physio and, and there were the others as well, what what were you doing? How how, how did your life look? You, you sort of said that you were still running, I think. What, how did it look before? When I was after the surgery prior to this physio? Yeah, so, so I mean, literally, before you saw the physio, how were you living life? How was I living life? Well, I was running, and this is what threw everybody, because I'm a little different than everybody. I was running, but I would run five kilometers. Well, you can run. Why can't you work? Well, you can do that, you know. And I'm like, but I'm a marathon runner. <laughs> five kilometers is not But nobody asked. No, Nobody yeah. asked. They judged right off the get-go. So I go for a run. And I'd come home and I'd put ice on me because then also after you get home a half hour, you get ice on you. But when you're out on the run, you could put your sunglasses on. You could cry. You can put your music on. Um, you could hook with a couple of friends if you could keep up. At that point, I wasn't keeping up well. Um, 
you know, I couldn't play soccer. I would then be going to physio probably three or four days a week, going to massage, um, tried to see psychologists and they put that off, tried osteopath and all. And so it was just an array of meetings over and over. And then the insurance company's calling in and, and, and work's calling in. Oh, we've seen you running because they're following you too now. You know, it's, you know, and well, how could you run? And I'll be here. I'm like, if I don't run, I'm not going to have one little bit of sanity. Because then I'm home putting ice on and my back is burnt with ice marks on it. And, you know, I'm home and I'm in the shower after that in the evenings with a bottle of wine, drinking and taking whatever medication. Because everywhere you go, they give you medications. So I'm self-medicating between the array of medications you have and mixing them and the bottles of wine and trying to hide it from my two lovely girls. You know, one's graduating high school and is getting a scholarship and I can't even show up. I can't show up. So it's, it's heartbreaking. You just get hurt. And, and, and there's nobody you can talk to. There's just nobody. Because yeah, you're just, yeah. you're judging and you're pulled in for these meetings and filling out these forms, constantly filling out these forms. Uh, oh, I know these little scores and stuff. It was overwhelming because being the shortage, you have to fill for them and you have to fill everything. So it's, it was just an array of this for, I would say, a couple of years. Yeah. Was that your lowest point you were describing? describing that? Yeah. That was pretty low. By the time I went into the pain clinic, I had lost a lot of weight. Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty low. And you, you, it, it's really a, a road of self-destruction because you don't know what to do. You're just trying to numb the physical and emotional and mental pain. It's just, you know, trying to save on with every little grasp that you can save on to. Yeah. I mean, human defenses are incredibly mm -hmm. powerful but but you you know in some ways you you might be dulling that pain the emotional pain that that sort of thing in that niche you're kind of doing quite well in a way because you are dealing with it but everything around everything else is kind of falling apart pretty much pretty much but people don't see that yeah, no, no we can hide it very well do you think you hit it well from people um I think I hit it well outside of my house within the house um i think i hit a little bit with within the house of how excruciating the pain was for my children and as a mom that's what you're going to do and you're you're not going to you're not going to tell them now that i speak more about it and i mean i dealt with pain was living with pain well for about five, six, seven years before i even started sharing i did because there was a stigma so it wasn't even then that they really had an idea of the, the chronic pain of living with it and what I went through but uh, of course you're gonna you're gonna hide from them as much as you can but they knew stuff was wrong they knew I was an emotional roller coaster I was irritable yeah, of course yeah. yeah and so you you went from that and and now I, I guess that puts some context you said that that desperation you you saw this other path right that's what I'm gonna do of whatever cost that's what i'm going to do how soon did you start to feel differently um i think from going to see him i can't say immediately but after the first couple appointments i did uh at least at the first appointment i could breathe i could breathe and realize okay we've found something I'm, I'm not crazy. So at least that was a start. And then as we started moving forward, um, 
it, it wasn't long that emotionally I was feeling better. And then as we started getting the pain down and able to get me so I can sleep again, you know, it, it's, I would say within the first couple of months, things really did start turning around. It was still a bit of a journey, but I would say within the first couple of months. Yeah. 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 People um, understandably want things to change very quickly. They, they want, uh, you know, to feel relief. You know, some people, really, I want complete relief, you know, immediately. And of course that's, entirely understandable when you've had um, you know high levels of pain or or, or just pain for a, for a long a long time but but as we know that's not how it works so the yeah. expectations and reality are out of alignment and and it's the the big a word isn't it accepting what the reality is but also being able to see possibilities and, and opportunities and it sounds that's what started to open you were being validated heard welcomed you felt that warm feeling um and that sort of opened things up a little bit for you to then take these steps change being this process rather than a point in time yeah i mean absolutely but it was also the knowledge i mean they're sharing with you at the same time I remember the physiotherapist sitting there and she says my daughter's a runner you guys just just don't think right she says you just want to go, go. <laughs> she says, i know how you think she says, you need to bring it back yeah you know and we can do things and i'm like okay so you're getting that you're getting that knowledge about what you're doing wrong you know remember some time go run for 10 minutes and then see how i feel an hour later i'm like are you kidding me <laughs> you know and my pain doctor said we're going to do these classes and we're going to try these treatments and we're gonna... so it's, it's getting this knowledge really what what is chronic pain like why aren't we teaching this in the schools <laughs> well i mean that's a that's a great so, question um you you probably well i don't know if you you saw but over here um, there was a recent announcement from our, our government um, that um, I may not be quoting this exactly right, but it was something along the lines of now maths will go to age 18, like a compulsory, everyone does maths. Oh. Now, you know, if I had a beard, I'd be doing a very long beard stroke at this point as to, you know, exactly that. Why, why are we not teaching, you know, useful skills? And preparing kids for for what the world is really like. If people understood pain, I've banged out this for, for many years. If if society understood pain, we would be in a very different position. Because it's just everywhere. It pervades everything. You know, pretty much any condition that causes suffering, there's some aspect of pain. I mean, you mentioned menopause earlier. Um, you know, there's so many women who who experience aches and pains associated with, not necessarily caused by, but to do with, you know, what's going on in the in the menopause. And it's sort of dismissed. Well, just take some painkillers or something. You know, that's just part of the deal or, or, or the stiff upper lip. Well, I just get on with it, you know, rather yeah. than thinking, well, actually, maybe there's a reason here and there's a message. There's information for me to act on. Um, you know, um at our support groups, we often talk, we try to keep this positive thing, right? But we also share, it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to say it sucks, you know? And it's like that, it's okay to say, you know, these hot flashes suck or this emotional suck, but it's what you do with it. You don't have to just bury it all as culture has always taught us, just bury it as if it's not there. It's, it's what you do with it. It's then where you go. Yeah. When did you have that realization that that it's not what's happening; it's how you relate to it that matters, which you've just described there? I think early on, 
um, I always said to my pain doctor, you know, it's not about what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. It's about how I'm going to do it. And I know there's choices. There's some, there's physical stuff that I can't do and I'll, I'll never do again. So that's fine. But there's other things that you want to do. How can I adapt? So how can I do this? You know, if I'm going to still run, okay, I'm not going to run marathon. So maybe it means run walk. You know, maybe it means going by myself if I have to go super slow and there's not all that hell training and stuff anymore. But it's how are you going to do it? Those things that are really important. And I think it just comes to that is, you know, and I think early on I had that. And um, I think because he listened so well and was never like, no, you can't do that. You know, and there was there was none of that, which you often got from other places. Oh, you can't do that. It's like, yeah, OK. Yeah, it's very it's very certain, isn't it? And, and a lot of people get that message. I think that the oh, don't do that. You can't. There's classic runners. Oh, you run. Your knees must be bad. Or if you if you are a runner and your knees hurt, oh, that's because you run. And, you know, all of these things that are just said, you know, off the cuff, but can be so so powerful. Rather than thinking, well, what what can you do? What are the possibilities? And if you take these steps now, well, actually, in three months, six months, a year, two, years, you know, whatever, who knows what you'll be doing? No one knows because no one actually knows the future. Um, but if they're destined by some message, oh, you'll never do that. You'll never do that. And that becomes the narrative, doesn't it? I can't do that. And, you know, you got to remember being a workplace injury. Their aim is to get you back to work. Their aim is not for you to have a life. That's not important to them. Their important is to have you back in that workplace. Not about that work-life balance is what it really has to be. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you think that the attitudes around work, I mean, obviously we've had this, this co these COVID times and a lot more um, spoken about pe people first and working from home. Obviously that kind of what you're talking about, you were doing, then you, you had to be there for some work. Obviously you need to be there. Uh, but do you think there's a change in, in work philosophy around caring for people where you are? For employees? Well, yeah, because that's their experience of what it's like. Because people can talk, can't they? They can put the values shouldn't be a picture on the wall, a list of things. They should be lived by the people. Um, I question it. I'm not sure. I'm not really sure. I think often, and sometimes in workplaces, it becomes um, get the job done. Your production. You've got you know. No matter even in. Um, Healthcare, you get numbers, you get things that have to be done. So I, 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 I think they like to think there is, but no, I, 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 I don't think so. I think we got a long ways to go. Yeah, I mean, I long go way to go. Say, I couldn't do this. I mean, I am in an accommodation in the fact that I don't work more than two days in a row. The odd time I'll do a third day. Um, I make sure I take my breaks, which is something I never did before. But um, what I do is very non-physical. My job has totally changed. Uh, but if I went up and said, like, but anybody who would be in my job would be doing it. The same thing. But if I went up and said, oh, I couldn't do half of this day or I need more time off or that, uh, you know, I'd be at the risk also of losing my job. I, I'm well aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. OK. OK. It, it sounds from some of the things you're saying there, it sounds like. You know, from that time when you you first went in and, and it was you were having that intense input and support and and guidance to to now you've 
you've become increasingly independent and confident in what you're doing. You have your own practice. I know that's the term I often use with people now. You, you develop your own practice of day-to-day -day and weekly things that are, are, are in place. Whatever the weather, this is what I do because A, B and C and matter to me. How, how have you kind of created your own practice and what does that, what does that look like now? Uh, you know, um, well, well, like I said, I work part-time. I have a very non-physical job. My job has changed. Um, I look at my week, week by week and I'll look at, you know, if I have certain, because I do a lot of this because I'm very much a pain advocate and run the support groups and stuff and run the organization. But I kind of look at my week and like, what can I put in that week? Um, I, my probably one of the few people who on weekends do meetings because I need to. Um, working in this um, pain advocacy with researchers and with um, a lot of things that I do and scientists I'm finding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of times they're, they're getting deadlines and they're getting stuff out on time deadline. Well, I'm like, okay, I have a deadline, but I'm going to get as much done as I can now because by that deadline in four weeks, I might be under, I might just not. So I, when I have the time, I just, I, I do that. I, you know, I've, um, the peer support groups keep reminding me, you know, there's certain things you need to do. Um, it's like I shut my computer off at nine o'clock at night because I can get in here and just work on stuff. And the next day I pay for it. <laughs> and I have a dear friend of mine and who runs the support groups in the organization. He'll, he'll all of a sudden he'll text me at 10 after nine. Oh, I know you're not going to answer this because you have all your technology. <laughs> <turned> off. <laughs> and I'm like, Darn right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I do things like that to make sure that I am. And I'm not saying I don't have bad days, but I do have, uh, if I have a flare up, I do have uh, prepared for them sort of things. Yeah. But I do because the holidays and things are hard too. Um, but, I, you know, I plan my weeks. So I do uh, mindfulness every day. I take my lunches alone at work so I can do some mindfulness and kind of get myself grounded again. When I come home from work, I come home and I go in my room and I take a half hour for myself, whether I sleep or I rest or whatever I take. And my husband knows the door's shut. She's in there and he just he just knows. No questions asked, you know. Uh, the house can work. Uh, he, he helps out more. But it was a lot of asking, too, and acknowledging you need help. So the, it's kind of week by week. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel now you have more of a sense of inner peace? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Even things like being able to run alone or we bought an exercise bike, um, we keep it in the house so I don't have to drive that 15 minutes to the gym. So I'm okay to be alone and not be with people all the time. I have some close friends. I mean, I do like the social component, um, um, but I do have a lot more inner peace than I've had in a long time. Yeah. 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 I, th I think that people find that that makes a real difference when they become a bit kinder to themselves. But that's an ongoing, you know, these are all ongoing things, aren't they? You practice so that you experience the inner peace. It's not something that you just get. It's not something that just arrives if you don't practice. It's these are things that happen because you do practice, because it matters. Mm -hmm. And it, and it happens you, all the time. Yeah, yeah. So, um, at what point did you start getting involved? Because, you know, you, you've got your own experience and now essentially what you've done is you're using that to help others, which is, you know, amazing thing to do. When, when did you start doing that and what prompted that to, to happen? 
Uh, in 2017, the Canadian Pain Society were here locally, and I was able to get a waived registration just to go to the conference. And it was the first time I ever gone to a pain conference. It's the first time I ever gone to a pain conference as a patient, which was a different uh -huh. experience. Any conference as a patient. What they did was an amazing thing, and they put on a workshop the last day on sharing your stories. And I was never one to speak up. When I was in university, I was not the one who was going to get in front and speak uh, out. Not at all. <laughs> Anyways, and so, and teaching about the impact of sharing your stories. And it just like something clicked on. I mean, this is five or six years later since I've been back to work and life has been going good now. But, you know, I was still having some struggles. And I'm like, well, okay. So then at that time, we did have a local small pain clinic open here. And I went to them, how, how can I help? What can I do? And we talked about peer support. And that's all right. And our physiotherapists were running a half-day pain session. And I know one of the physiotherapists, I said, can I open the, the top? She's looking at me with two heads. Sure. So I did. And, and there, and a few of them knew me. And actually, my physiotherapist was there, didn't know why I was there. And I just opened the talk and said, thank them for being there. And I live with chronic pain. And this is what it's like to live with chronic pain. And the more we learn about it is as important thanks for being there and then the occupational therapist who was with the local pain clinic it was a pain clinic that run used to run here one day a week um helped me and we uh, got the peer support group going and then people in pain network connect with me and i connect with pain dc and it, it just evolved i found some really good people to stand by me doing this stuff and it's evolved and we had a meeting last night a virtual meeting we have and then i've got one this morning in person it's amazing to be there and listen and not only for them, but for me, because it's the one place I can go in and just take the mask off. And I sit down, I take the mask off and can share freely. So yeah, that's how yeah. it all started. And then I just kept talking. <laughs> yeah, you have. I mean, I know that, you know, you, you very much value, I mean, we use the term lived experience, don't we? Yes. Um, and, uh, and that's it, isn't it? It's it's being able to share. This is what it's like for me. The quality of what it's like to be to be me, but in a in a safe space where you're not feeling judged. There's no agenda other than just uh, just compassion, I guess. Pretty much, and listen, and help, and hear people. And it's it, it's not only that. Say, so say, within the peer support, as I've grown, I've realized with research, I've been with research, some research projects. Um, I'm the chair of the Canadian Pain Society newly formed Person with Lived Experience Committee, and then acknowledge how important it is to have that inclusion. And I think everybody is realizing it's from peer support being with each other, whether it's one on one or as a group, researchers, scientists. It's really having that person with lived experience voice at the table as equal partners and hearing really what is happening. And it's, yeah. it's growing. People are, I think, acknowledging how important this is. It's, it's definitely growing. And, um, yeah. you know, a lot of meetings now will have uh, patients come and share their, their experiences. And, and that needs to be more because that's what essentially we're trying to help shape isn't it a, you know better experiences so otherwise it's all in a silo over here let's talk about science and stuff um i mean that's just it's meaningless unless it's brought into the real world um and i guess it's it's you know these kinds of conversations it's your work uh, it's you know there are obviously scientists now and researchers looking at this and writing about it and we just need to keep the 
ball rolling. And so is that, is that at the heart of your purpose, would you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's keeping, like I said, keeping the ball rolling, uh, getting more people speaking and getting, you know, more diversity, getting more young adults and everybody in there. Just just speaking and communicating and connecting with each other. Because even that is, you know, it's um, really is heartwarming, you know, here sort of the same times as uh, one of our members last night that was sharing a bit of her story and as much it breaks your heart it's heartwarming too that someone can be in that space and and share and I think I went to the North North American Pain School in June as a patient partner and I realized and remember I'm just learning about research too that there's many researchers who aren't uh, clinical researchers but they're scientists and they've never worked with patients don't know how things go so it's getting them engaged too and I think with our new trainees and things, it's happening. It really is happening. Yeah, it's it's kind of enforcing much needed and in uh, a necessary change. Where where essentially, I suppose the word that comes to mind is is accountability, holding the decision makers, the funders, the policy makers accountable, and saying we, this big group or hopefully massively growing number of people, are saying this based on these facts and these figures that this is how it needs to be done. It seems ironic, doesn't it, that, that we kind of know all this stuff, but then they're making decisions about things that they don't really know. I, and how do you get them on board? Like, I would love to know how you get the policymakers on board. I'm with, here in our province with a working group with the provincial pain team trying to get some, I mean, our pain services, um, what we have are great, but there's certainly limited. When we just had a clinic close last year, our local one, I'm like, how do you get the policymakers on board? And they said, oh, we're going to, oh, yeah, I had one meeting. We're going to, we're going to share you with social worker. They're going to be three days, but the pain clinic will get it one day when you reopen. I'm like, well, that's scary because the other days let's go to the diabetes center. We won't see them, you know, and I'm probably one of the few people will speak up like, that. That's, I don't know if that'll work. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. I mean, first of all, it's getting them around the table, isn't it? Um, And then it's, you know, we're talking about these are conversations about change and and different agendas and trying to find the the common ground. And actually, you know, to to bring the the humanness to the table so that we're on that level and then you can start having the conversation. You know, bashing people over the heads with data and papers never work. No one likes to be told what to do. And people who are in power you know, they like power. So we kind of got to, you know, play the play the game, really. It is. Um, We're lucky here. We've had um, the Canadian Pain Task Force. We got our, our action plan for pain now, and we've got Pain Canada, which is newly formed. So we're lucky and we're hoping, and I'm very optimistic that they will start. And they are, I do, I see, because I'm, I'm with our um, National Advisory Committee. We're starting to make moves. But it's you still got to get the provinces coming in on, you know, you've got the whole overseeing nationally, you know, who are saying we need this and this and they'll come up with all the data and what it is and what you need and what it's like. And now it's just to get the other thing. But they're, um, uh, you know, they're really doing a lot of collaboration. So I'm hopeful this will help make some moves within Canada. I really think it will. Yeah. And, and actually be a, be a flagship for other countries as, as well. Um, you know, we could we can all learn from each other. And when you know you try something and it works, then obviously we've got to look at you know how that would work somewhere somewhere else. But it seems the common denominator across the globe remains the you know the obsession and emphasis and the power of the biomedical model 
um, to to try and explain pain when it fundamentally doesn't. And actually, we've known that, you know, Pat Wall's famous lecture was back in 1979. You know, so, you know, where are we now? 2023. <laughs> uh, um, that, that's the challenge, isn't it? It is. But you know, this That's sort of stuff is going to keep things moving. These conversations, and this is going to help. Yeah. yeah. How do you keep positive? How do you keep on the track? Oh, I didn't always. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't always. Um, how do I keep positive? You know, I really think it's, it's surrounding myself with some wonderful people. And through this journey, I've met wonderful people between, uh, I said to the people's support group last night, I said, this is amazing to see you guys in the new year and be here. And like I said, this morning, uh, through this sort of neat like you, I've got people with the um, Canadian Pain Society that I have met in Pain Canada. And um, it, it's them seeing their work and their reach out and their kind words that's that keeps me positive and keeps me things moving and i mean i have days thinking here in nova scotia thinking what the heck is wrong with them we we we, <laughs> we move two two steps forward and seems three steps back but i'm seeing and seeing you know the collaboration with pain canada and just cps and the people with lived experience and the researchers in a collaboration and just there's so many people extending so many kind words and reaching out. It it it, it really helps, keeps me positive. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. fantastic. All, all the power of connection. You've you've mentioned the word patient partner a few times. Um tell me what what's that? What does that mean? You know, that's the same thing as the person with lived experience. It's that patient partner or person with lived experience within your research or your, you know, within your collaboration. It, it's kind of the, the same thing. There's different names, patient engagement, patient partner, personal lived experience. I think everybody has maybe what they prefer. I'm pretty open. <laughs> it's like persistent yeah. pain, chronic pain. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the one, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm, I'm pretty open and I probably could be corrected on that, but it's uh, within either uh, like I know I'm on the provincial pain team or were you with the research or whatever it's that that person with lived experience yeah okay and what would their role be what do they do exactly on a kind of a practical basis on a practical uh, advice co-design uh, many roles you know in uh, Canadian Pain Society we are developing the new committee we're developing policies we're doing interviews we're doing all kinds of really cool things we're co-designing we're advising pain Canada we advise uh, here on provincial pain advice um, speak up share your story uh, open meetings is anything there come with a lot of a lot of skills you know and our perspectives are important but we also come with other other skills that are important yeah yeah i mean huge amount of skills and and, and experience a fantastic resource there's because there's a lot more people suffering than there are people who can help people who are suffering yeah yeah that's a good way of putting and it and so you've got this this formula. So, and I don't. Recently, um, I saw some work being done in in various parts of the world um, around mental health. Where again, you've got, I mean, particularly in developing countries, you've got lots of people struggling and very few specialists or people who can provide care. So the the solution, or one of the possible solutions, is to create, if you like, um, amateur supporters, guides. I like the word coaching. I think you know. So, 
you know, for pain, it's sort of this this idea that you don't necessarily need just uh, a professional. You can have, I'm going to use the word amateur, just for convenience, just to discriminate. Nonetheless, somebody's had some training where they, they can actually intervene and support and guide skillfully. I mean, similar to uh, with the Samaritans, you know, you can join, you get training and you don't have to be a professional. You you do that with this. So that so now we've got this this network. So when I saw the word patient partner, that, that was my first kind of thought. Ah, this kind of hand in hand, walking the journey with someone a bit like, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, the, the sponsor, but these kinds of ideas which may work for pain. You know, that's what we run in our peer pain support groups. That's what it is. It's this network of people living with pain, you know, and within our, our organization, we have our peer leaders who are taught facilitation skills or taught, you know, about self-management, what, what the topics are, you know, about um, boundary, everything. But they're there to walk the journey with them. So when we have so many people, like you said, more people living with pain than people can offer the help. Why are we not um, using these the, the, the people the, the you know to do especially like I said peer support the support groups um, or coaching? I mean, it's a very untapped potential. That's yeah, not- and, and 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 cheap. I don't I don't mean cheap as in not valuable. I mean as in. In, yeah, but much better. Yeah, well done. That's the way. Inexpensive yeah. to run, but, so, but they can support yeah. us. I mean, to get a venue is like pulling teeth. Uh, to get a Zoom link, to get things, it's, it's like pulling teeth. It's, it's, you know, part of my, as running the organization now, is become raising money. Like, I'm a 100% volunteer with, with, with the job and our whole organization as a grassroots, small organization who offers peer support. But it's, to get money is, 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 is it's a struggle. Because you got to keep a website going. I mean, you know, you got to keep Zoom. Yeah. You got to have coffee pods. You got to have snack. Yeah. You know, promotional materials. There's things that need to be accounted. You know, they have to do. But uh, it is a very much untapped potential, and um, it's unfortunate not to support it as much as it should be. Um, again, I think we're going to see some differences, but wait. Yeah, I mean, maybe we need some some, some data. Some- you know, some uh, you know, looking at perhaps a training of, of some, in your terms, you know, patient partners in, in a particular way and then creating a network so people can go on and find their, their patient partner um, and connect. There obviously needs to be safeguarding in there. I mean, I'm just taking this off the top of my head now. But it just seems like a possibility that, that you know, you, you create. And, you know, with the online stuff, we can work with people wherever. That's the beauty of, of pain coaching style is that you, you can work wherever. You don't need yeah. a building, um, which really reaches, you know, to the rural populations or, or the people that can't really can't make that journey or it's just too far or they don't have a car or whatever. Um, they, they can be worked with and helped and supported right where they are. And that's that's important. We just need it. Um, some organizations are doing it in some problems. We just need it more globally that you, that you can work and you can set up. And some people like to be in person. You, you need more. I mean, you need more resources available. Um, Canadian Institute of Health Research, they've actually done a modules for patient partners about research, which are very well done. I've actually gone on yeah, and, and yeah. done them and learned stuff. And I've been in this doing this for many years now. Uh, yeah, but yeah. We, do, we, we need 
more access for us who are at the bottom floor doing what we're doing and more supports. Absolutely. I mean, and even for peer support, I mean, the Canadian Pain Password that's in their six goals for um, their action plan. One of them is acknowledging the importance of peer support. Yeah, it's there. It's written. So looking forward then, your, your imagined future, what, what's the picture of success? Oh, for me? <laughs> well, I think for what I'm doing right now, um, I, you know, I'd kind of like to say success now because four or five years ago, I would never thought I would be where I'm at and doing what I am and invited to, to things like to lead and chair the Canadian Paint Task Force Person with Lived Experience. Um, to do these things, I mean, for, you know, beyond Paint Canada's National Advisory Committee, be with our local stuff. I mean, that means that someone is seeing something in me that says, oh, you can do this stuff and inviting, you know, and I think that's wonderful. Uh, the peer support groups are growing, the organization is growing. But, you know, so I'd like to say, yeah, this is success, but does success mean you stop? No, I got more mm-hmm. I want to do. <laughs> There's yeah. more stuff out there. We want to grow. We want more peer support groups. We want a provincial pain uh, standards of care and plan within Nova Scotia. So, yeah, we're getting there because there's, there's just more work that needs to be done. There really is. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Where where can people find you and, and sort of follow what you're up to and uh, pinch your ideas? Pinch my ideas. Well, Twitter, and you know me on Twitter, and I'm sure you'll share that. So I'm on Twitter. The people can follow me, DM me. I'm constantly um, on there. Uh, um, our website, uh, www.piainain.com. People in pain. You just look under people in pain website. Uh, people can email me um, at Virginia MC uh, at pi. P-A-I-N.com, whenever, you know, <laughs> you know, and even on the website, it has an email that goes to info at people and paying dog, you know, email, it, it goes to me, it goes to me, Brilliant. And, uh, yeah, Brilliant. not hard to find. Good, good, well, I'll, I'll put all those uh, links on the show page so people can can do that, but it's been fantastic to, to hear, and, and thanks so much for sharing, your, you know, your personal journey as well um and then obviously what you what you've turned that into um which is which is amazing so thank you well well thank you and you know this is a pleasure and for taking you taking the time to listen this is absolutely pleasure and a pleasure to meet you and it's great pleasure to share fantastic well keep in touch i will do cheerio